we're going to be talking about joy. Joy is a hard thing to talk about because joy is a residual item, isn't it? It's a residual product. When people go into business, they trade with the goal of having something called a leftover and it's a profit. You know, that's the goal. Joy is like that. It is something that is left over in our hearts and minds as a result of other things around us happening, okay? So what we're going to do today, though, is we're going to look at um, two sides of joy. Uh, There's joy and wonder, and there's joy in passion. And when we talk about passion here, we're talking about the biblical term of passion, which is suffering. You know, we probably have seen the movie over the years uh, called The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's story. And uh, it talks about the passion, the suffering, the suffering that looks through to a preferred future, wanting to and willing to endure suffering so that when it is over, there is uh, a peace and contentment. So I'm going to touch on this biblical story that we know so well and uh, pick up on how it is that joy seems to be the glue that holds this story together. The story of faith, the story of wonder that we celebrate in this season. So uh, these are familiar passages, but you're going to see something, I hope, that's a little bit fresh and a little bit new there. So firstly, we've got Mary who's been told by an angel that she's going to have a baby, the Son of God, and she is now uh, looking for support. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, that's her cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth is carrying, she's six months ahead, carrying the little boy who we'll know as John the Baptist, okay? But the baby says, says here, the baby leaped in her womb, okay? Now, when we've had our three kids, you know, the times when Michaela says, put your hand on my tummy, you can feel the baby kicking, you know? But this is uh, more than kicking, this is a leap, I don't know what a leap looks like, uh, but man, I bet you there was a few contortions going on there. Eh? And the baby leapt, little John, little John leapt. And then it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, The Holy Spirit came upon her and then she starts prophesying. She says this, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, okay? And so we've got this joy being a marker, if you like, of the presence of God and what is actually going on here is an affirmation between the two women that they're both in a process of uh, divine deliveries, if you like. They're both in the story and uh, it's the joy of the Lord that is an affirmation to them. And uh, so often we say to ourselves, it feels right to us, doesn't it? It seems that God is in this. And that is a peace and a contentment that comes from the joy of the Lord. And it's a marker for us as well as it was for Elizabeth and Mary. Uh, So it goes on, she says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Notice how her spirit rejoices, which is, is, is an affirmation of joy within her. Okay, So it's joy that is really the glue that is holding this story together. Joy is the overriding emotion. And so uh, when we look at this, we go, this, this little three-letter word is a powerful word which carries so much of the promise and so much of the confidence that these two women had in God's work in their lives. 
And so for us, as we look at what it is that we are doing, when we know joy and we meet that place of encounter with God and we go, yeah, there's a joy here. That is usually an affirmation that God is in the process of uh, delivering something new into your life, leading you forward. So the shepherds, of course, we're very familiar with these, these guys. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel appeared of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, as you would be. I always try to imagine this, you know, what it would be like just to see a whole bunch of angels cresting over the hill. You know, it'd be like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, what are we going to do to get out of this? Where do we go? You can't go nowhere, you know. It's like, we can run, but they'll catch us. And, uh, and exactly, that's what happened. And uh, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great, say it, joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So again, we're told, terrified shepherds are told that they will experience the joy of God as an affirmation to the promise that is happening right in front of them, that the Messiah that has been long awaited has now arrived in the town of Bethlehem. It's fantastic. And towards the end of this little story, this nativity scene story, uh, Mary concludes with these words. It says of Mary, that but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Yeah, I bet she would have, eh? You know, here I am, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, a visitation from an angel. You know, and we know already that uh, three wise men in their entourage have arrived to affirm her shepherds from the fields. You bet she was pondering. eh? I would be pondering too. The question for us as we look at this story is, what is it that we link our joy to? What is it that gives us that unstoppable confidence and, uh, and contentment and peace that allows us to be able to say, hey, look, I think I'm in this place, and, and even though it's tough at times, it's a good place to be. And we talk about joy as a commodity that we're always trying to chase down. But as I said before, it's not something you can grab or own of itself. It's something that's a leftover product, a byproduct. And, uh, you know, we, we, we see it at moments, we grab it, we want it, we own it. But, uh, you know, when we look at our own national identity, as New Zealanders, we take joy in the fact that we're, we're a little nation of battlers. Yeah? We like being the, uh, the underdog and things, you know, because not only are we under the bottom of the world, away from so many other places, but our small population somehow seems to deliver quality, uh, you know, in places and times that uh, others look at us and go, wow. How does that happen out of little old New Zealand, you know? And, and so that gives us joy as a nation, yeah? Um, the challenge that we face today is that we have somehow culturally we've, we've shifted in how we receive joy or perceive joy. And the problem is, is that we're often uh, deceived by that. You know, the, the myth that if you're popular, you'll be happy. It's an absolute myth, but that's what drives a lot of social media, doesn't it? It's a myth that you'll be happy if you uh, make a lot of money. It's a myth that you'll be happy if you have a lot of boyfriends or girlfriends or you have a lot of parties, etc., etc. It's an absolute myth. Uh, but what we link our joy to is absolutely vital to our well-being. Researchers have said that the thing men crave the most is respect. Respect gives them joy. 
Why? Because they feel confident in their identity. Uh, for, a, for a woman, it's, it's more centred around uh, love, particularly in a maternal sense, if people have children. You know, it's love in its more pure form. And so uh, that's why there's always a little bit of confusion about Mother's Day and Father's Day, you know? You don't buy dad big red hearts and things like that. You know, you buy him a powder drill. And uh, you say, Dad, I respect you. Go and use the powder drill. Yeah? Um, but it's, the truth is that uh, mothers actually link their joy to the well-being of their children. If your children are doing well, a mother's joy is there. If a child is struggling or suffering, a mother's heart aches. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, it is. Eh? It's hard, it's tough. But what we link our joy to is really, really important. The old man at, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem, who Monica talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, Simeon. Simeon was a man who was looking for a particular event to happen and the scripture tells us that when Jesus was taken to the place of dedication in the temple, it says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Um, this is a powerful moment in Simeon's life, isn't it? Why? Because he'd been promised that he'd see the Messiah. And uh, I don't know what that was like for him. You know, imagine to be in the temple all those days, many years, watching each child come through, going, no. Nah. <laughs> oh, that's a cute one. No. Nah. You know? And then finally this child comes in, and there's a, the, the anointing of God, the touch of God upon this child. And he says, his first comment is, I can die in peace. <laughs> I can go. I've seen this child and, and, and I'm going to speak over this child and, and, and make a way for this child by declaring that this is the Lord's Messiah. That was his moment. That was his time. That was his joy. And so when we look at this joy on this side of the story, we see that joy is tied up with wonder. You know, it is a wonder. It is amazing what is going on here with all of this heaven and earth divine interaction going on, heaven breaking into, earth, into planet earth, into people's lives who were unsuspecting that any of this would ever happen to them. And the fact that they have been chosen, they themselves are in awe and wonder of what God is about to do in their midst. But there's another side to uh, joy which comes out of suffering. And I can remember when I was first a Christian reading the book of James and these words appeared right at the beginning of James. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Honestly, honestly, I thought James was nuts. I thought, what are you talking about? The pursuit of happiness is what our lives should be about. You know, in my immaturity as a Christian, I thought this is surely what uh, Jesus came for, to give us happy, clappy lives. And, uh, and yet James goes on to say, uh, we should consider it joy. Because why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So joy is a decision. Joy is a choice. Often we allow emotions just to be run by the events that are outside of ourselves. James is saying, consider it joy. Stop there, consciously own the fact that this trial is going to bring you joy. 
You know, it sounds like, sounds crazy, doesn't it? You know, because we know that there's some real tragedies that happen in our lives at times. You know, it's, it's not, oh, praise God, the dog got run over. That's not what we're talking about. But we look at it and go, there will be joy in my life. There will be something ultimate as a destiny if I pursue this in keeping with God's presence and will, okay? The thing about joy, as I said, it's a byproduct. Um, you, you can't buy the joy of trials any more than you can buy muscles at the gym. I don't know how many of you have done what I've done in the past. You pay your membership and then nothing changes, you know. Sorry. <laughs> yeah? Any of you done that before? But uh, you can't, either, neither can you go to the, the reception at the gym and say, uh, how much is it for a six-pack? Um, I'll have two biceps, one for each arm, please. Um, yeah? You can't do that either, can you? What they do is they say to you, here's the gym, welcome to the house of pain. You know, the harder you work, the better result you'll get. And so it is with trials. You know, sometimes these trials are hard work. They're the house of pain, aren't they? And yet God is saying, if you hold on to me through this trial, the end result will be perseverance and maturity. And that's a great goal in itself, isn't it? But we can never go through into that place the easy way. We've always got to go through the hard way. And when we're in the midst of a trial, as some of you may be right now, uh, there's a joy in there, but it's a joy of faith where you say, Lord, I believe, I believe in confidence and faith that this, what I'm going through, if I, if I act honorably and with integrity, I'll be a better, better person for it. That's a real bold statement to make, isn't it? But that's what James is promising us. And we kick back into the bigger picture of Scripture. Here's a, here's a word from Isaiah. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Which really Isaiah's way of saying, God is God and you are not him. Okay? Um, I think over the years, my, my prayer life has changed along with this sort of scripture. I, I've uh, slowed down on giving God advice. Do you give God advice when, you, when you're praying? God, I'd like this to happen, this to happen, and that to happen, please. Yeah? It's, it's only natural, isn't it? We bring our prayers, our supplications to God. Uh, and in the midst of a trial, it's pretty defined what it is that you're wanting, eh? You're wanting out. Doesn't matter what, what, the, what happens to, to bring that about, you want out. James is saying, no, that's not going to happen. So when we talk about out, we talk about our ability to um, hold on to God and the out will come as a result of God working perseverance into our lives. So uh, I want to tell you a little story now that brings these two sides of this, uh, the, of this joy thing together. Um, as you know, I've been away on sabbatical and, uh, and, and I'm grateful that I wasn't missed because the team did such a fantastic job. Monica flew out to London with her daughter on Friday and sort of as she left, she says, you can keep your job, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, but they, the team did a fantastic job. Um, so here is a, a picture of part of the trail of the Camino just to kick you off. Um, we walked through Portugal into Spain and um, about halfway through this two-week walk, we... Um, Michaela had a few health troubles, and so she went off to the doctor, and the doctor said, look, 
best if you don't walk today. So she just caught a, um, a cab or a bus or something to the next destination. And for me, um, I said, look, I'll walk it in. It's only 20 k's. I'll walk it in. And so off I went. So Michaela arrives at this venue where we were going to stay, and, um, and she sees all these people who are just sort of doing their washing and, you know, cleaning up after themselves, and everybody was just doing their own thing. And Michaela looked at them and says, hey, everybody, why don't you just come in and we'll sit around this table and you share your stories, you know? And so that's what she did. So I turned up there, and I was looking like a little red fire truck because it was 36 degrees. And... Um, and all these people were just having this great time. And I was looked around and I thought, I think my wife's been at work here. <laughs> yeah? But one of the people that she spoke to was a guy called Lamp. He's an Asian guy who's uh, first-generation American. And uh, he was talking to Michaela and he was going, you know, Michaela, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. He says, my feet are an absolute mess. I'm in pain every step. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it. And so what happened is Michaela just explained to him that uh, he's amongst friends when it comes to being in pain. You know, this is just part of the things that you endure. And then she, she said, can I pray for you? And she, she prayed for him. And uh, nothing more said or done. But what happened that night was uh, rather remarkable. Uh, we went into the kitchen, this huge kitchen, this lady who was hosting us, and she prepared a meal, which is a little bit unusual, but this is one of those sort of bed and dinner arrangements. So we had about 17 or 18 of us sitting around the table. Germans, Americans, uh, Kiwis, uh, Swiss, yeah, all, all over the nations. And um, after we'd eaten our meal, uh, the lady, Fernanda, her name is, she brought out the guitar and said, anybody play the guitar? And um, a couple of people said, yeah, I can play a few tunes, you know. And then she pulled out these songbooks filled with all the sort of popular songs of the last 40 years. And so we all choosing them and singing them. And it was going okay for a bunch of strangers who never claimed much by way of musical talent. Then a husband came in and he thought this was a pretty good thing. And so he said, you're all going to go to bed at 9.30 and it's just coming up to nine now. We're going to have a disco for half an hour. <laughs> so with that, he puts on this music and he clears the chairs and he gets everybody up around the kitchen sink in an area no bigger than this. And he puts on... YMCA, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we were all looking at each other going, it was just a sense of bewilderment, you know, everybody was bug-eyed staring at each other, are we really doing this? Are we really doing this? You know, a bunch of strangers dancing to these old tunes in somebody's kitchen. And uh, over a period of about 10 minutes as he kept rolling these songs out, um, we just gave up on being um, conspicuous about ourselves, you know, or self-conscious. And people just entered into it, and we're all giving it our best moves, and, you know, uh, it was a really fun time, and then we got sent to bed. <laughs> and, um, but in the morning, you know, that joy just continued on, and the funny thing was, for the following week, as we'd run into each other, we'd just look at each other, and we'd laugh. We're just like, really? <laughs> Did we do that? That's really, really strange, eh? Anyway, we were about two or three days out from reaching our destination. It was very early in the morning. It was, it was actually dark and just going out of a town under streetlight. And uh, I looked up and I saw this chap who had spent that disco dancing evening with us. This is uh, Lamb. His name's Lamb. And uh, he's uh, native to um, America, as I mentioned. This is the guy that Michaela had prayed for. And uh, he walked over to me. And he was going quite slow. And he said, 
I got out of bed this morning and I didn't want to go. I just wanted to give up. I said, why is that? He says, oh, my feet are just a mess. I said, oh. He said, but Michaela got me out of bed this morning. I'm like, she was, she was actually with me. Uh, <laughs> I better have a word to her, you know? He said, no, no, I remembered her talking to me and praying with me and told me that others have done this and I can do it too. So anyway, this photo, is, this photo that you're seeing here is taken at, the, at our place of destination, Santiago. And uh, there he was, walking around with this big, dumb grin on his face. And when he saw us, he just lit up, you know. And uh, he said, oh, I'm so grateful to Michaela for challenging me to push through. And uh, so we took his photo. And then I said, hey, look, there's another photo I'd like to take, Liam. Could I take this photo as well? And uh, he's like, yeah, sure. And uh, this isn't unusual on a Camino, but he certainly got a good dose. And... Um, For him, the joy of completing that journey was synced or linked to the pain that he experienced, you know, the difficulty of going through. Yeah, others have got those blisters too, eh? Yeah, yeah. And so we're reminded that in the passion, in the pain, in the the, the intense moments of, I want to give up, there is a joy that comes through those times when you persevere. And this brings us right back to the person of Christ, who, of course, this is always all about. It says here in Hebrews, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's in other words, people who have gone before you, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Okay? Sticking with this Camino theme, when I've done other Caminos, uh, this one, the first day is over the Pyrenees Mountains. It's the very first day. It's the hardest day, and people are just absolutely wiped out. You know, and folks start off their Caminos with a pack full of all the necessities, all the things I have to have. You know, my favourite coffee maker, my, uh, my three pairs of extra socks, and, you know, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> There's a property box in this big hostel with the first night we stay, it's really big. It's like this big. And I walked past it and I looked in it and I was like, oh my goodness, this is like a Kathmandu sale, you know? <laughs> but all this stuff was like, help yourself. There were brand new waterproof jackets, there were boots, there were cookers, there was just everything, you know? And I was like, you know, I'm a bit of Scotsman in me somewhere. I was like, sweet, running through it. And then Michaela says, and what are you going to do with it? I was like, Oh, yeah, I can't carry that because the whole idea is to cast off, not accumulate, you know, on the Camino. I'd be a fool to take more than I needed. So we're told that we should cast off that which easily entangles us. This is what uh, the writer Hebrews is telling us. And then he highlights this in Jesus' life. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, that's incredible words when you think about it, isn't it? For the joy set before him before he took on the cross. So he saw through the suffering. And what was the joy? The joy was twofold. It was to be able to sit at the right hand of God, his ultimate destiny after having endured the cross. But the other joy that he would have seen 
And all this was about was us. He endured and anticipated the joy of of being able to create a way, a pathway for us to receive salvation. So the joy set before him was us. And because of that deep sense of anticipation and joy, uh, he he could see the other side and he just knew that he could endure the cross for the sake of that joy, which is us. So when we look at this word joy and we see it as a, as a byproduct of things that are around us and not something you can own or grab on itself, uh, joy carries for us the wonder of Christmas and the passion of Easter. But joy is an intentional choice. Sometimes we look at Christmas and we go, oh, old uncle is turning up again. You know what he's like, moans about the dinner, never does the dishes, always forgets to bring a Christmas present, you know, always arrives late. Yeah, there he is. Oh, joy. (laughs) We have choices. We have choices that we're invited into because if we continue to, in a scenario like that, offer grace, offer love, offer kindness, uh, we can change the environment. And that's what we're called to. And that's why joy is such an incredible part of Christmas. It's the ability to be able to capture the spirit of the, uh, of the time, of the, of the uh, season, and to be able to walk in that, knowing that everything we celebrate is ultimately about God being in control, His ways being higher than our, our ways. And that is in itself the recipe for joy. Why don't we stand? And um, we invite the team to come out and lead us in a final song. Lord, as we move into um, this season now, which is upon us, uh, I just trust, Lord, that we can take this little word, joy, and use it as uh, a goal, as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to be able to just see beyond the immediacy of all the busyness of the season and maybe the pain of having to or required to gather with people who we're a little bit offside with. Uh, all of this, Lord, is something that you've, you've done with us and for us in the past. And, and there's a cloud of witnesses that look at our blistered feet, our blistered hearts, our blistered minds. A cloud of witnesses say, push on. You can do this. You can be the best version of yourself for the sake of what you can bring through joy. And so, Father, we, we call upon you today. And we ask that you would guide us and strengthen each one of us wherever we are at to be able to be not only recipients, but givers of joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.